This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, yes. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another preseason episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hi, everybody. Hey, Elon. You know, we just had our first round of drafts in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, and it looks like a really exciting start. I was just combing over the results, and you know, it's just getting me that much more excited to get this NHL regular season started already. Let's get the 2015-16 fantasy hockey year in motion already. Yeah, well, we don't have actual regular season play yet, but we finally at least have preseason play to talk about, which is something, and that's going to be the focus of this episode. But before I get into that, Brian, you mentioned the cupful. For anyone who doesn't know, that's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. And yeah, there were a couple of drafts yesterday. There was an auction draft and a snake draft. We have four more drafts scheduled. We'll see if we can even fill one more pool. So if you're interested in joining the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, it is still not too late to sign up and get on the waiting list. We're trying to fill up one more pool. We'll talk about it maybe a little bit later in the show. But yeah, here's one lesson that I took away when I looked at the results. In each pool, there was one person who didn't show up to draft, and both of them ended up with Gibson and Hammond as their goalie tandem. The moral of the story is show up to your drafts, people. Show up to your drafts. (laughs) Yeah, especially news has come out, by the way, that Gibson is almost for sure going to go to the minors to start the season. Also, because of Anaheim's schedule and some other things I've been reading, I take back what I said in the Schmorgoliesborg episode about Frederick Anderson. It looks like he's going to get the majority of the starts and Kodobin is just like a regular backup. So I would be very happy with Frederick Anderson for anyone who's interested. And we all know Brian's thoughts about Hammond. So not the greatest goalie tandem. The one guy... I already made a trade. The draft ended, and then he traded, like, Tavares for Henrik Lundqvist. So I guess that worked out well for the guy who drafted Lundqvist. Okay, anyways, let's not get too deep into the rabbit hole of the cupful draft results, because we have a cool episode today. Like I said, we have preseason results that have started, and I guess we have the overall caveat that we shouldn't put too much focus into preseason. Of course, some players are playing against weaker competition. The coaches are trying out different things. How do you know which game really counts as a fair measure of a player's skill? That said, there are some players who are having really great preseasons, and I want to ask you, Brian, if we can take their great preseasons and project that into great seasons. Like, I want to know which of these guys is for real and which of them it's just lucky that they're having a great preseason and we shouldn't put too much stock in it. You know, by the time preseason rolls around, we're all so desperate for actual hockey things that we can sink our teeth into that we go nuts with the first little bit that we see, like... 
any line combination it's that we see in the first preseason game where we're like, okay, how's that going to impact this player's fantasy value? Or a guy gets like two assists that we've never heard of before and we say, oh, is this guy going to crack his team's opening night lineup? And everyone's just so eager <laughs> to use actual things and events that are happening on the ice in their player valuation decisions that I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact that preseason means very little in the long run, not just for the NHL standings, but also for players' production outlooks. Because you have a lot of teams playing like split squad games or just barely meeting the minimum eight NHL veterans that you need to play in each preseason game. There's a lot of weird mechanics going on with coaches trying different things and line combinations and tactics, and it's just not a very good simulation of a regular season environment. So for that reason, you can't put a ton of stock into preseason, but it is still good to keep an eye on the little things that are happening. Yeah, I kind of feel like we can't put too much stock into it, but at the same time, it's the only thing we've got. And you know, at the very least, it's reminding us maybe of some players that we maybe didn't consider. You know, there's a couple of guys that we're going to bring up, maybe Paul Stastny, David Krejci. These are guys that last season pretty much faded away due to injuries or other circumstances, and now they're having pretty good preseasons, and now it's like, oh yeah, that guy. And it's good to take a look and see what their situations are going to be. So I think it's going to be a fun episode. Before we dive into it anymore, though, we have to mention we are presented by DauberHockey.com proudly presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there. I've been saying it every week since we announced it, but like you go there for everything. They've got your standard stuff when the season starts, like line combinations on their frozen pools tools, starting goalies, tons of articles. They have this draft guide and projections for next season that if you haven't drafted yet, you got to get this. It's like not that much money and it's right up to date with any injuries and anything that's been going on even in the preseason. And it's like an invaluable tool to prepare for any upcoming drafts. Yeah, a fantastic resource that you and I have both used to research the show today and have used all throughout the week to keep tabs on exactly what is happening. All those little bits and pieces that might be important. Dauber Hockey is a pretty good filter for separating the signal from the noise and what you really need to know going into your drafts. Yeah, they have a daily ramblings, like every day, basically a blog post of all the news from the night before. It's like, if you can't get a Keevan Carlson episode every day, at least you've got daily ramblings to read until you wait for this episode where Brian will give us the Brian ramblings. And let's get started with those. I already mentioned a couple players. Let's start with one of them. I want to talk about David Krejci, because he's a guy who is being ranked really low on most people's drafts lists. I've seen some draft results where he's going all the way in like the 12th or 13th round, like crazy results for a guy who's one of the top scorers on his team. Like last year when he was healthy, we'd be talking about Pasternak and saying, oh, he's on a line with Krejci, so we expect good things out of him. Like he's the guy who we say the other guy, it's good that he's playing with him. So he's fallen so far. Why is that? Obviously he had a bad injury last year, only ended up playing 47 games, and he only had 31 points in those 47 games, which is a bit of an offseason for him. The year before that, he had 69 points in 80 games. He played the full year. The last time he played a full year was two seasons before that, and he had 62 points in 79 games. So here's a guy who is definitely capable of getting you over 60 points, maybe even approaching 70 points if he could play a full season healthy. And I bring him up because in the preseason so far, and again, all the caveats that Brian said before are going to apply to everyone we talk about, but in the preseason, he's played two games and he has two goals and two assists overall, four points in two games. So he's clearly showing that he has the capability, he seems to be healthy, and he's able to put up those points. Brian, are people sleeping too much on David Krejci? Yeah, I think people are sleeping on David Krejci from the early returns that we're seeing from draft results. He seems to be a guy who's falling a lot 
farther than he should based on one admittedly very difficult season. I can understand why Pulis would be gun-shy on David Krejci after last season where he was just like in and out of the lineup every other day, like day-to-day, injured reserve, just going back and forth between every possible injury status. And that's super frustrating as a fantasy owner because you can't get to work on like replacing him long term or knowing exactly which players you need on your roster and you have to drop and add guys frequently to make up for his inconsistent status. And you also just might be out of roster spot because of it. So a lot of people, when they see David Krejci's names, if they owned him last year, I can imagine that they might not feel good things. But he was still on a 55-point pace last season, and he had really great scoring rates on the power play to go along with that. And although like his is-he-or-isn't-he-healthy status last year really was the story of the year for him... It's not the same like for other players who have that status. They're usually guys who do it all the time. But for him, this was the first time since his sophomore season, way back in 2007, 2008, where he missed more than seven games in a single season. So generally, he's been a pretty steady, reliably healthy guy. I mean, Krejci was a reliable 60-point guy, 60-plus point guy. Elon, you mentioned he had 69 points just two seasons ago. So why are we so cold? on this guy. And this year, I think the best thing that could happen to him is he gets to play with David Pasternak, and then those two checks get to make magic together. But no matter who he plays with, Boston's top six is actually going to be pretty strong this year, even with that horrific offseason that they put together. So Krejci should be okay regardless of who he plays with, and he is going to be guaranteed to see some key power play moments throughout the season. He does remain the Bruins, I think, best established offensive weapon. And if your league is busy drafting guys like Bolesky and Marchand and Bergeron, Pasternak and Spooner, there's no reason for Krejci to be the odd Bruin out. None at all. And he seems to be available for a song in the late rounds or even as a free agent after the draft has ended in some cases. So take advantage of that and you can get yourself a guy who has a floor of 55-60 points and you can get him for a relative bargain compared to what other 55-60 point players are going for in drafts this year. Yeah, Brian, both of us actually have our cupful drafts this Wednesday. It's a bit of a bummer to be putting out this episode just because I'm kind of giving up all the secrets from the preseason. But we have to do it. It's our journalistic integrity on the line. But yeah, I think Krejci is a great late round ad and hopefully the people who will be drafting with me aren't listening because I'd love to have him on my team I feel like you know you obviously want to get Tuka Rask and you want to get Tori Krug and then I'd say the next Bruin I'd want is Krejci or maybe Bergeron but it's very close between the two I'd have to think about that one but like you say the injury concerns might be overblown he's having a great preseason for whatever that's worth I think he's definitely not worth going in the 11th round like he did in the cupful snake draft yesterday it's a 14 team league he went 140 eighth overall wild yeah he should definitely be i think within most people's lists of say top 100 forwards and that i think is a very liberal range i feel like he could be drafted sooner than that and whoever got him in the 11th round if he stays healthy and it's likely he will assuming that he's recovered completely from last year that is going to be a pretty good bargain come the end of the season. Yeah, and actually the team that drafted him is the one team that auto-drafted, so who knows how far he would have fallen (laughs) if that guy had shown up. You gotta give one for the auto-drafters. You know, his team isn't that bad. He just doesn't have much in nets. If he could make a trade, he could be okay. And I guess since I mentioned him at the top of the show, let's move on now to talk about Paul Stasny over in St. Louis. This is another guy who has been completely forgotten about in a lot of preseason draft talk, or more like pre-preseason, off-season talk, when we've been looking at the St. Louis Blues. 
And for good reason, right? He only had 46 points in 74 games last season. Definitely an off year for him. And I remember, Brian, you had really high hopes for him when he left Colorado and went to St. Louis. And you thought it was going to be great for his career. He had 60 points in 71 games the year before in Colorado. And you thought he'd be able to for sure keep that up. And it's not that you're a bad prognosticator. It's just that he really didn't get the opportunity in St. Louis. Like he was on the third line for most of the season while Steen, Backus, and Oshie were on line one. And of course, there was Tarasenko and Schwartz and Lettera on line two. Stastny was left playing with, you know, not the same caliber type of guys, and it showed in his numbers. But so far, looking at the preseason results, it seems like things are looking like they're going to go in a different direction this season. He's been playing with Alex Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko, which is a huge upgrade over Dmitry Yaskin and Patrick Berglund or someone like that. So far in two preseason games, Stastny has three goals and an assist. And like I've said, he's been playing with Tarasenko. He's been I don't know if you can say piggybacking on his points or helping him get those points, but Tarasenko's obviously having an amazing preseason. No surprise there. But if Paul Stastny can play with Tarasenko and Alex Steen on the first line in St. Louis, to me, that would be a slam dunk for sure pick. Brian, am I missing anything here? Well, I know it's like infamous and I wonder if anybody doesn't trust me anymore after the that Stasny versus Pavelski bet that we did last season. But, you know, I think there were reasons that we didn't see coming that caused Stasny to have a bad season. You mentioned one of them, which is that, you know, he wasn't even on the second line. We thought one of the reasons he would do well last season was because he had David Backus and the first line in St. Louis doing all the defensive heavy lifting and that would free him up to go crazy on offense. Except Yori Laterra stepped in and took that spot from him thanks to great chemistry with Tarasenko and Schwartz early on in the season. That left Stasny to get buried on the third line, and not only was he buried on the third line, but he saw his ice time go down nearly a full minute, which is just not a good thing for anybody trying to produce. On the bright side, his points per 60, so his scoring rate was actually still pretty decent in line with the rest of his time where he was able to put up, say, 55 or 60 points a season. So if he can get part of that minute of ice time back, get back on the second line. And this year in St. Louis, there's going to be a bit of a different division in duties with TJ Oshie out of the picture. That leaves room for Tarasenko possibly to move up to the top line, which means that Stasny can step in and perhaps, hopefully, get to play with Jaden Schwartz or maybe find some more chemistry with Dmitry Yaskin. Or play with Tarasenko himself. Yeah, and if either of those things come true, I would hope for good things from him. Now, I am getting a little further away from, you know, those early seasons where he really blew everyone away in his first three seasons. Check that. In his first four seasons, he was like a 70 to 80 point player. And I thought that's who he could be when he moved back to St. Louis, even though St. Louis doesn't really have the same offensive regimen that those Avalanche teams did when Stasny was on them. But now it's been like five seasons in which Stasny has failed to crack 60 points. He hit 60 points two seasons ago, but he hasn't surpassed that mark. And I'm starting to wonder if that's where he settles, especially on a team like St. Louis, as long as they're coached by Ken Hitchcock. So I still think he's a valuable guy to have on your team and is probably falling further in drafts than you'd think. And this preseason is hopefully a good omen for what's to come for him. The Blues are paying him $7 million bucks. You think they want to see a little more out of him than they did last season when not only did he not put up a lot of offensive numbers, but he wasn't even being tasked with much defensive heavy lifting, which was sort of his specialty coming over from Colorado, being able to neutralize other teams' top lines 
and put up a few points in the meantime. But Bakistin and Oshi kind of already had that gig covered, I guess, so he got bumped down. Hopefully there's a little more room for him on this year's Blues depth chart, and that he does have a few more quality players and quality opportunities along the way. If he gets those, I can definitely see him being a 55-60 point guy again, and in my heart of hearts, I hope that he can one day hit 70. But I think that might be reaching. Yeah, well, I think it's going to depend on the line mates. Like, maybe you shouldn't put too, too much stock in line mates in the preseason. But it's just like, I'm looking at the Frozen Pool report that you tweeted, where Dauber has this link where you could go and just see right away the lines from the last preseason game. And, like, Stastny played with Steen and Tarasenko. They did so well. And on the power play, he played with Steen and Tarasenko. So if he plays with those guys, I feel like 70 points isn't out of the question. But that's, like, a crazy projection. Like, I agree with you. I would just be happy with 60 after last season. And let's just remember that Laterra is injured right now, so his presence on the depth chart isn't really factoring in right now. He plays the same position as Stasny, so things could definitely change once he re-enters as a healthy player. So line combos in St. Louis, you know, preseason, to pay them some mind is okay, but keep in mind that there is this extra factor that they don't have their full top six or maybe top nine in play yet. Right, yes. You definitely have to be following. We'll obviously report on this as the season goes, so we'll keep you updated on a weekly basis, but definitely you'll want to keep track of what's going on, and you can do that at DauberHockey.com. But okay, next player, Brian. Let's talk about another guy who we've maybe overlooked a bit too much during the offseason and now is really showing what he has to offer in the preseason. Let's talk about Tyler Ennis on Buffalo. And you know, it's really great to finally see some preseason games, if for nothing else than to finally have something to actually say about the Buffalo Sabres, aside from listing the new players they have on their team. We've been talking about it all summer. It seems like they should be really good. They have all these new great players. But now to see them in action, I mean, their last two games have both been against Ottawa in the preseason. So I don't know how much weight you want to put on it. Not to shoot down Ottawa, but it's just like one team's preseason lineup. But yesterday, Buffalo beat Ottawa 6-4, and Tyler Ennis had three goals and one assist, giving him five points overall in the preseason. And this is a guy who only had 46 points last year, which you may think, uh, nothing special, but this was on Buffalo. He was one of their leading scorers with 46 points. And now if he could play on a line, he's going to be having completely new line mates. If you look at the box score for this game yesterday, his goals and assists were accompanied with Jack Eichel and Evander Kane. And if he could play with stars like that, that's going to be a huge upgrade over whoever he played with last year. Maybe Zemgisker Gensens or Johan Larson or Brian Gionta. Brian, you'll get into what happened last year with Tyler Ennis. But yeah, definitely a very promising start. And maybe this is an indication that he could have a breakout season. Like this guy, Tyler Ennis, he's only 25 years old and he's known for being, I've been reading on Twitter lately because I was interested in all the success he's been having in the preseason. But you know, people are saying he has silky hands and he's a great player. And maybe now he'll have the opportunity to actually play on a somewhat offensive team. So he's definitely a guy on my radar after seeing what he's been doing in the preseason and which player he's been playing with. Yeah, he's actually been about a 50-point guy over the course of his career. And he's been able to score 43 and 46 points in the last two seasons while playing with Zemgis Gergensens and Matt Molson. So just imagine what he might be able to do with Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly. This one is just sort of common sense. It's like we see a guy who was able to put up points with very little around him. Now he's got a bit more support. He also does put shots regularly on net, which is also a positive for him. And I just want to point out that I don't know if we should be fooled into thinking that he's going to score more than the 20 or 23 goals that he scored in the last couple seasons. Now that he has help, I think if anything rises, it's going to be his assist 
totals because now he has shot machine Evander Kane on his line, which means that Kane is going to take a lot more shots, possibly away from Ennis, and do some more goal scoring duty. But if Ennis can't play a role in actually scoring the goals, then hopefully he'll get his say in setting up the goals. And in that case, it's not hard to imagine another 10 points maybe being tacked onto his totals in 2015-16. That would bring him up to, you know, like the low to mid 50 point range, which makes him a pretty valuable player in most fantasy leagues, at least in the depth option category. Keep in mind, he's also going to have a real life NHL level power play unit to go to work with now. So he's not going to be like the center cog of the operation, but he's going to have a much better chance of chipping in than last year when he managed 11 power play assists. The only part where it might get a little bit dicey for Ennis is in his defensive play. I mean, we talk about the futility of Tyler Bozak as a top liner, and I don't know if it's a thing with guys named Tyler. I have to look into Tyler Sagan next, maybe. But Tyler Ennis was actually the only regular forward in the whole NHL who saw more shot attempts going against his team while he was on the ice than Tyler Bozak. Now that said, if Dan Balsma doesn't like those lapses, what's the Sabres coach really going to do about it? You know, Brian Gionta and Johan Larson are next in line on Buffalo's depth chart on the right side. So I don't know if Ennis' spot is really up for grabs. I can barely see him ever being knocked out of the top six or maybe even the top three if you want someone up there playing with Kane and O'Reilly. So the way I see it is this. He's almost a lock for the top three, definite lock for the top six just by virtue of lack of competition. But I could see 20 goals and 50 or more points, almost a sure thing for him this year, with good power play time, with good power play line mates. All in all, looks pretty good to me, better than he has in a while. Yeah, and you're saying he'll hopefully get to play with Kane and O'Reilly. Even if that doesn't happen, there's still Jack Eichel, who's having a great preseason himself. So it's a good situation for Tyler Ennis to be in, at least much better than it was last season. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with him and the whole Sabres team. It's very intriguing team for me. I feel like I want to buy a Sabres hat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's let's not go too far. <laughs> let's maybe wait half a season, full season, two seasons, ten seasons. Before I make that big commitment of buying the hat. Yeah, I mean, we don't take those things very lightly around here, do we? <laughs> you know, I live near the Hockey Hall of Fame, so there's a wealth of NHL hats available to me. I bought a really cool Sens one recently, and the patrons are keeping Carlson saw it because I wore it during our patron cast. Wow, they saw your hat. Become a patron, see Elon's hats. We've got to add that to the perks. <laughs> yeah, I brought that up just to mention the patron cast. We had a really good time on Thursday. I think it was the highest attended patron cast. There was like 20 people in there at one point. People were asking us lots of questions. We were doing our best to answer them. There was lots of great feedback in the chat rooms. So we were able to integrate that into the discussion. It was a really good time. I'm going to say it again. Maybe I'll just sprinkle it throughout the show instead of having a dedicated segment for it. Now is the time to become a patron of Keeping Carlson if that's the kind of thing you think you might be interested in doing at some point because it's not too late to join our Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. If it's your first episode, this is the type of league where there's going to be multiple pools and at the end of the year we're going to tier people based on their results and then, you know, the person at the top of the ultimate tier is going to be the ultimate champion. It's a real impressive thing that you can go for and the only way to get into the top tier for next season is to play this season. And also with fun patron casts like that, like, it's a great time. Like, Brian and I had a great time. It was supposed to only be an hour. I think we ended up going for an hour and a half, and there were still questions on the floor that we then had to take over to the patron Facebook group to discuss. And actually, we talked about Ennis on the patron cast, too, so our patrons had, like, a 48-hour heads-up on Tyler Ennis, which, if your draft was this weekend, 
was really worth their while. Well, he ended up getting drafted in the 14th round, so he still got taken as a steal. But okay, that's the last I'm going to do for promoting anything on the show. Let's do only content for the rest of the way. We've talked about Stasny, Ennis, and David Krejci. Let's move on to the next guy I wanted to talk about on the list. Let's talk about Timu Polkinen on the Detroit Red Wings. So here's a guy that's for sure on a different tier than the players we've mentioned so far. We don't know if he's going to be in the top six on his team. We don't know... 100% if he's going to make the team, though it seems like based on his preseason, he kind of has to, right? Polkanen had two goals and two assists against Pittsburgh a couple of days ago. And for what it's worth, he's currently challenging for the preseason scoring lead. I feel like they should have a trophy for that. They could call it the (laughs) Bichensky. But okay, who is Timu Polkanen? Last year, he played in 31 games for the Red Wings. He came in at some point and put up eight points. So basically a non-factor. Do we have any reason to believe, Brian, that because of this preseason, he could become someone worth drafting in a standard fantasy league? At least he's making a case for himself, which is what he's done over the last couple of years, not in the NHL, as you mentioned, but in the AHL. He has figured out how to score and how to score frequently in his two pro seasons in North America. In 115 games of AHL action, he's managed to score 100 and 20 points, including 65 goals. So he's got that part figured out. The next challenge for him is to figure out how to do it at the NHL level. There's a lot of excitement when he got called up in the latter half of last season. Everybody was clamoring to grab him off their free agent list or add him to their prospect list if their league was deep enough. And for good reason, but he just didn't perform. Elon, like you mentioned, just five goals and eight points in 31 games played. Mind you, he was only seeing 11 and a half minutes of ice time per game, so there's not a whole lot you can do with that. And you have to think that if the Red Wings want to start the season with him, that they're going to give him some kind of top six or top nine production role where he can see maybe closer to 13 or 14 minutes, get his feet wet, score a few goals, get some confidence, and then see if they can up it from there. The thing is, is that Red Wings depth chart is kind of a little crowded. You've got Datsuk, Tatar, Jerko, who also might fit this sort of theme of the episode as players who are sort of under the radar going into this season, although I don't necessarily know if he's turning heads during the preseason. But continuing that list, there's also Zetterberg, Franzen, and then you have guys like Applicator on the bubble, and Polkinen, I'd also lump in there as well. So I feel like he's probably within his team's top eight. It's can he offer more than anyone else in that top eight is the big question. And the answer is, unfortunately, we don't know yet. This preseason outburst is a decent sign. It's not a terrible thing to happen, but also doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot come game one of the regular season. What we're watching for is, is he going to start the season in the NHL? If he does, I wouldn't even say he's necessarily fantasy relevant right away. You're going to want to keep an eye on his ice time. If he does start the season in the AHL, just keep an eye out for call-up news because if you're looking to fill a roster spot at that point and the options on the waiver wire or free agent list are few, at that point, he might be a good guy to take a flyer on. I'm not sure about going into the season, although hopefully the future for him is bright, even though... I'm already seeing like comparisons thrown out there to other guys who could really figure it out in the AHL, but never could get it together in the NHL. I think it's too early for that. With Timo Polkinen, we're still hoping for the best. Yeah, so maybe this is an example of a guy who's doing really well in the preseason, but we shouldn't overreact and draft him in our leagues just because of a couple of good games. Don't get too excited. Let's wait and see if he makes the team. And if he makes the team, let's keep our eye on the Frozen Pools tool and see if he makes it into the top six or into any meaningful minutes. 
All right, let's keep this train going next. I want to go to Carolina and talk about a couple of players who have been having great preseasons. And I'm curious to get your take on if this increases your thoughts on them going into the season. Let's start with Jeff Skinner. Here's a guy who's really fallen down on most people's fantasy radars over the past few seasons after starting his career so strong in Carolina. But so far in the preseason, he's got four goals. According to this reference on NHL.com, four goals in two games. And I feel like this is just something that's reminded me of what I used to think about Jeff Skinner. Because I remember a time when I thought he was so valuable in fantasy because he was putting up a decent number of points and taking so many shots. Like, he was the kind of guy that could almost single-handedly win you a shots category in a week where he had a good week back in 2013-14. 274 shots in 71 games. That is nutso. And he had 54 points that season, 33 goals. So he was turning into a really strong fantasy asset. Then last year, oh man, 31 points in 77 games. Not even a guy worth rostering in most leagues. So Brian, my question to you is, is this goal scoring Jeff Skinner of the preseason the real one, the one from two seasons ago, or is the one from last season the real Jeff Skinner? Where can we see a guy like him ending up in the 2015-16 fantasy season? Well, since you brought up shots on goal, Elon, I think it's fair to say that last year he saw 235 shots on goal, which was the second highest total in his career. The difference was that his shooting percentage was a career low at just 7.7%. And actually, his on-ice shooting percentage, so the shooting percentage of him combined with the shooting percentage of his teammates, was just barely above 5, at about 5.5% at even strength, which was the second worst on-ice shooting percentage of his career. He actually was even more, quote-unquote, unlucky two years ago when he had his other poor NHL season during the lockout year where he had 24 points in 42 games but still a ton of shots on goal so with Jeff Skinner it's like the percentages are really going to decide where things go and I just don't know where he lies right now because he's had seasons where he shoots 14 percent and 12 percent and then he's had seasons where he shoots nine and a half and eight and seven and a half percent so I just really don't know where he falls his career average is ten and a half percent but he's actually never put up a shooting percentage in the 10% range, anywhere between 10.0 and 10.9%. So what's the deal with Jeff Skinner's puck luck? That's the big question. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I do know that he is still a capable NHL shot taker and a capable NHL scorer. And for that reason, he's definitely worth a look. The whole Hurricanes team had a really tough time last year. I don't know if you can remember. It feels like so long ago. But at the start of the year, they went on this huge run of games where they couldn't win in regulation or at all. And that actually pretty much sank them for the entirety of last year, which is why a lot of people are expecting a bit of a bounce back from them. If you take out those first 15 to 20 games, they're actually a serviceable NHL team, not necessarily bottom three material. But Jeff Skinner's fortunes this year are kind of tied similarly to those of his Carolina teammates in that somebody needs to figure out how to score. And at this point, it was such a team-wide thing that it's hard to think it wasn't a systemic thing happening. But I don't know whether anyone was able to really tease apart if it was just a bunch of poor player performances or if there was something deeper going on. In any case... Let's hope it's sorted out this year so that Jeff Skinner and Eric Stahl and Elias Lindholm can get to what they want to do, which is putting up points and by extension, making a lot of their fantasy owners happier with them this year than they were last year. The bright side, the silver lining of Skinner's bad season last year is that he's probably available a lot cheaper this season, and I wouldn't be too scared about taking a flyer on him myself. Yeah, especially in a league that counts shots. 
he adds value even if his shooting percentage is going to end up being low. Hopefully it won't be as low as last season. And in your spiel there, I heard you mention Elias Lindholm. And this is another guy who I've been hearing rumors about that people, some people are projecting him to have a great season. I have saw some people are projecting that he might play on the first line with Eric Stahl. I remember last season, I actually picked up Elias Lindholm at one point. He was going through a hot stretch. When it was all said and done, though, he only had 39 points in 81 games on the season. Do you think he's someone worth drafting in fantasy leagues this year? Or is he more of a waiver wire guy? Yeah, 39 points in 81 games. That is not impressive at a glance at all, and it makes you think, what's the deal with this guy? But in the context of that Carolina team, it's kind of like, hey, half a point per game? Not so bad. Lindholm suffered the same sort of circumstances that Skinner did throughout the year, minus, you know, any injury troubles that popped up. And so, you know, I feel like we can still give him the benefit of the doubt at this point, as, you know, he was a single-digit draft pick back in 2013, picked fifth overall, and there is still that potential there that we're looking for, that we're waiting to see. And the thing that I have seen written about him in two different guides, including the Dauber Guide, was that he is just scratching the surface. That phrase was used to describe what we can hope from him next year based on what we saw last year. And like I said with Skinner, you have to imagine that something gets figured out this year. And if it does, Lindholm is pretty much a lock to improve over last year's performance, which puts him at least at the top of your free agent watch list going into the seasons if you don't draft him. But in deeper leagues, he could be found money at the bottom of your draft if the Canes actually do put together some kind of offense this season. Of all players that are slated for about a half point per game this season, like 45 points, he's probably got some of the higher upside amongst them. Yeah, there's a few guys on Carolina who could really improve over last season. It doesn't seem like it would be too hard to do so. And speaking of found money, Brian, let's transition. I want to talk about the Calgary Flames goaltending situation because I think there might be some good value there if you're good at guessing who's going to be the starter, we talked in Schmorgoliesborg, you said that you think Jonas Hiller is a good goalie and probably should be the starter, but word out of Calgary is that that's not how it's looking. Like, at least from the articles I've read, there's been rumors that he might get traded because they're really happy with Kari Ramo. And it's worth pointing out that actually all three Calgary goaltenders, Ramo, Hiller, and Ortio, have been having great preseasons, all have save percentages over 93%. And I think all three of these goalies are probably going to fall really deep into drafts, especially Ramo and Ortio. Like, I think most people still think of Hiller as the starting number one goalie and someone worth drafting. But I feel like there might be a lot of value. If you've already drafted and you have Kari Ramo in your free agent list, this could potentially be a goalie who ends up being the number one goalie on a pretty decent team. He's having a great preseason so far, though so is Ortio and Hiller, as I'm saying. So I just think these are all three guys that are worth watching. And I wonder if you have any take or any changed mind since Schmorgoliesborg about the Calgary goaltending situation. I haven't changed my mind, but I guess the only thing that might is just remembering Calgary's stubborn unwillingness to just hand over the reins to Jonas Hiller. And I feel like we've had this conversation so many times before that you can probably fill in the blanks for what I'm going to say because the Calgary Flames' best goaltender is... Jonas Hiller? Yes, and for some reason, they want to look at every other possible option first before playing him. I don't know if they want to use one of their three goalies as a trade chip to improve somewhere else. Is that the long-term plan? Because trying to simultaneously have three NHL-ready goalies available to them doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, especially when you have an established number one goalie on your roster who's been in the NHL for years, who's proven himself year after year. And then you're platooning him with Kari Ramo, who's a career 905 goalie, and you're just insisting that, yeah, maybe he's going to do it. Maybe he's a number 1B or even a number 1A. 
And now Ortio, yes, he had a great preseason performance, which I feel like the Flames are going to be like, great, we love Yoni Ortio. Anybody whose name is not Jonas Hiller, we'd love to really be able to anoint our number one goalie. So I don't know what's happening in Calgary. If I have Jonas Hiller, I'm still feeling good at least about having half of a tandem, but I'm not feeling as good as I should feel if Calgary was managing their goalies the way I would manage them. Well, there's this article by Mark Spector that we could link to in the show notes, and he mentioned that Orteo isn't going to go down to the minors this season because he'd have to go through waivers, and he's doing really well, and he thinks that Calgary wouldn't take the risk. And, you know, that just makes me think there's not room for three goalies there. Someone on the patron cast mentioned total rumor, right? But that maybe Hiller could get traded to a team like Winnipeg. So maybe there is value in Hiller and that he might get traded. But right now, I would be scared. But at the same time, I guess I started the segment by saying I'd be scared to take Hiller because I feel like he would require a somewhat high draft pick. But guys like Orteo and Ramo might be good people that you could just pick up off free agency you know, let's say if you drafted Datsyuk and now you have an empty spot that you could just stash someone for a while. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of like other teams that have had three goalies that they've been rolling with for any period of time. And the first example that comes to mind last year was in Minnesota. They had Dubnik, Kemper, and Backstrom all up in the NHL. And really, it's just a matter of who can take the bull by the horns, who can really put on a lasting run. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to do anything of Dubnik's proportion. But if I look at those three goalies, the most likely person to do it is still Jonas Hiller until otherwise proven. And I think maybe Orteo would be a better candidate than Ramo to unseat Hiller if he is not going to get sent down. All in all, I guess this makes me less likely to want to own any of the three Although I still have this thing like deep down in the back of my head that I think if given the chance, Hiller will prevail. So I'd feel comfortable with him, but it might be good to watch list the other two guys to at least have easy access to them should they enter the net for any extended period of time. All right, and to end the show, let's talk about a couple of players that maybe you haven't heard of, but people who are appearing on people's radars and maybe turning some heads so far in the preseason. I want to talk about Yevgeny Medvedev and Yunus Donskoy. And so let's start with Medvedev. He's a defenseman on the Philadelphia Flyers. And while we've been talking about in the preseason and summer season series is that Michael Delzato might be an interesting guy to look at as the heir apparent after Mark Strait, all of a sudden in the preseason, the defenseman that's been really shining bright is Yevgeny Medvedev. He has four points in the preseason. He's been playing a lot of minutes, you know, getting a lot of ice time, getting some power play time. It seems to me, Brian, like the Flyers have Medvedev as a guy in their sights. He's come from the KHL, and maybe he's going to end up being the number two defenseman after Mark Strait on Philadelphia. Is that crazy for me to say? Should we still be looking at Del Zotto as highly as we were in the preseason series? Or is Medvedev someone now that we need to consider in that situation? Well, Medvedev was billed coming in as a defensive defenseman, not somebody who's going to put up, you know, 35 or 40 points a season, quarterbacking a power play. He'd be more like a solid presence in the top four. And to be that in Philadelphia shouldn't be too hard. They have a pretty full depth chart on defense, but in terms of quality, it's just not quite there. So it's exciting to see him maybe being able to step into a role. I don't really think he's a threat to Del Zotto's power play time, though. Yeah, and I'll throw it out there, since I am talking about preseason numbers. Del Zotto is also having a great preseason. He has three points so far. But Medvedev is the one that has been catching people's eyes for sure. We'll see if he'll be able to keep up any offensive production once the actual season starts. But definitely got to keep your eye on, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could keep your eye on him. But I really, like, I think 30 points would be the absolute ceiling. I would expect something, you know, as low as 20, 25 points maybe 
for his rookie season, but I'm open to being surprised. It's just not the player he was billed as when he came over from the KHL. Yeah, well, he's an older guy. He's 32, my age. And obviously a lot of his production will depend on his role on the Flyers. So it'll definitely be interesting to see when the season starts, if he's getting any power play time. Because as we know, anyone who's playing on the Philadelphia Flyers power play top unit is going to get some points because they are just killer. Yeah, fair point. His KHL teammates have probably never been as productive or as proficient as Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek. However, it is worth noting that in his professional career, he is 32. He has established who he is. His highest point total was 26 points, and that's in the KHL. Just keep those expectations tempered. I'm not being a wet blanket. I'm excited to see a new defensive presence emerge in Philadelphia. I think they did a good thing by looking elsewhere because they sure weren't doing very well at pulling NHL talent onto their team. Yeah, no, it's good. You're not being a wet blanket. It's good for people to not get too excited about preseason numbers. That's what we're trying to say. So it's good to get a realistic sense of what he was doing in the KHL. And yeah, maybe at the very least, we could think, could this be good news for Steve Mason owners as now maybe Philadelphia will have a bit stronger of a defense? We'll see. Something to keep your eye on. Okay, the other player I wanted to talk about, Eunice Donskoy. And the reason he's on my radar is because a patron of Keeping Carlson, Colin, wrote on the Facebook group saying that word out of San Jose is that Donskoy is getting a look playing with Thornton and Pavelski on the top line in San Jose. And of course, the first thing I thought was, who the hell is Eunice Donskoy? It's not like he's been having a killer preseason in terms of the numbers. He's got a goal so far. But of course, if there is a sense that he's going to make the team and play on the top line, all of a sudden, he's a guy that we'd have to rush to. If people were picking up Melker Carlson last year for playing on the first line, there's no reason to not want this Eunice Donskoy. Of course, I say that without knowing anything about him. So Brian, please fill me in at least a little bit so I don't sound like a complete moron. Well, I'm going to do my best to also not sound silly. First, I'm going to tell you that it's not pronounced Eunice Donskoy. No, I'm just joking. I have no idea how his name is pronounced. We'll have to wait to see if he makes the team and watch a few games to get an idea of that. But let's just call him Donskoy for now. And he has impressed in training camp. Reports seem to indicate that he is the most likely prospect to make the team out of training camp and have a spot on the Sharks opening night NHL roster. Now, one thing to be just a little bit wary of, not of him specifically, but I think some of this excitement is being generated because he was playing with the Joes recently. That's Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton. That would be a very interesting situation to happen during the season. Although we know, you know, from looking at Hurdle and Nieto that the Sharks aren't afraid to throw a third guy up there. A young guy, even, that they hope is going to gel and produce offense consistently. Hey, even Melker Carlson got into the top three and top six last year. So why not Donskoy? I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying you might not want to start drafting him in your leagues because he appears to be on the top line in preseason. That said, he does seem like a decent candidate to put up a decent amount of points as a rookie. Perhaps not fantasy relevant, but maybe this is like a more of a long-term outlook kind of deal. He did very well in the Finnish Elite League last year. He led his team Carpat to victory. He was their leading scorer. He factored into the top 10s in both goal scoring and assists in the league. But just to run off some other names that have hit the top 10 in points in the Finnish Elite League lately, two years ago, we had former NHL prospect Ivan Hummel up there, Toivo Teravainen was 6th, Vili Peltinen was ninth, And if you go way back, it's just like, you know, it's not necessarily the most competitive scoring league, and it could be a good sign, but I'm not going to start, you know, running him up the flagpole because he did so well in the Finnish Elite League. It is at least a good indicator, hopefully a good indicator of things to come. 
Yeah, it would be a bit rash to draft him based on what we're talking about today, but if you've already drafted or if you're about to draft after it's done, throw the guy on your watch list. Keep your eye on the lines. If you're going to make, you know, daily transactions, try to optimize a week and you see that he's going to be playing with the Joes on a given game, that's definitely going to increase his chances of providing for you. And hey, we've probably told you about a guy you never heard of. So that's what you get on keeping Carlson every once in a while. And with that, that's the end of the show. Thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate you tuning in. Even in the preseason, there hasn't been any regular season NHL hockey for so long, yet we still are getting listeners. It's unbelievable. So I just want to thank every listener of Keeping Carlson and let you know that we are happy to help you out on Twitter. You know, if you have a fantasy hockey question and you want to get some quick advice, Brian and I are on Twitter all the time. So you could shoot us a tweet at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to help you with your upcoming drafts. And for sure, subscribe to the podcast because we have big plans for the season. We are going to be giving you weekly, in-depth fantasy hockey coverage all throughout the year. And you're going to need to tune in to know exactly what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Stay tuned. And an extra little thank you to those of you who have written us a five-star review on iTunes recently. We do keep an eye from time to time, and it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. It's something free and quick that you can do to support the show and help raise our profile and visibility on the iTunes store. That is something we really, really appreciate. Yeah, you may not want to tell your friends in your league about the podcast if you think we're giving helpful advice. So you could just give an anonymous five-star review on iTunes. I'm sure none of them will see that. But with that, let's cue up the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? This episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. It was researched with help from dauberhockey.com, tsn.ca, War on Ice, Fear the Fin, Broad Street Hockey, Hockey Prospectus, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Yeah, and I was using NHL.com for my preseason stats. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you about even more preseason news next week. Oh, and good luck on your draft on Wednesday. Thank you. I think I'll actually need it. My cup full bracket is actually pretty full of stiff competition. Thanks, Elon, for another great show. Until next time. Keep on keeping Carl Sahn.